Are you familiar with what a breaching whale sounds like? Uh, recently, I heard Bob Goff uh, talk. He's a, a pretty kind of prolific and famous uh, author and speaker. He's a fun guy to read. He wrote the book Love Does, and um, I think everybody uh, always. He was mentioning his writing process and how he'll be thinking of an idea uh, in, a, in a book, and he'll kind of test drive it on one of his speaking engagements. And often, he'll be speaking and uh, he'll think something is amazing. And it's just like crickets in the crowd, like no one really responds to it. And then he'll say like this offhand comment that he really doesn't think much about. And then he'll hear the sound of a breaching whale in the audience. Everyone at the same time will go, hmm. And it's, it's like the breaching whale. It's this, uh, this signal to him that he's onto something because everybody kind of universally feels it. Uh, today's topic will most likely be a, a breaching well. It, it's, it's this topic that everyone faces and that everyone will feel like hits at home. And it's this idea of what do you do when you are tempted or you're um, tested? In other words, you're under trial. The big idea for today is when you're under trial, being tested or tempted, what's going on? What forces are at play and how do you come out of it with flying colors? How do you come out of it being faithful? So um, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. And um, I like, you know, my analog Bible. I encourage you to have that. But if you are on your digital device and you got the Bible app, um, you can go to our notes there. Uh, some people don't know about this, but if you go into the description of this YouTube video, there's a link uh, for the Bible notes. You click on it, it'll open up the Bible app, take you to all of our notes. You can save those. A lot of people save them, and then they go back later in the week and process things. They, you can even take notes right in there or remember quotes, stuff like that. So if you don't know about that, really cool tool available to us through the makers of the Bible app. We'll read James 1, verses uh, 12 through 18. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived. My beloved brothers, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. This is the word of our Lord. I think you say, thanks be to God there. So let's, um, let's circle back to... Uh, I think it's verse 12. There's um, like three things that stand out here. Uh, the first is that there's a beatitude. Uh, you know, back in the beginning of the year, we, we looked at the beatitudes of Jesus and, and the Sermon on the Mount. Here, James gives us kind of a bonus one. Um, Blessed is the person who remains steadfast uh, under trial. Uh, it's kind of a, a beatitude here in James. Uh, the, other, the, uh, the other two things that stand out, there's these two other words, uh, steadfast and trial. Uh, we looked at those kind of in depth last week. Uh, steadfastness is this uh, sense of passionate patience. Uh, it's really needed in any area of life where you need to 
um, grow. You need steadfastness if you want to grow. And the other is the word trial. Uh, James previously said, "Decount it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds." So he's kind of picking up on that idea again and and talking about specifically temptation. And so I'd like to show you um, kind of a graphic that helps me understand um, the, the difference between a test and a temptation and a trial, how that all fits together. Uh, you know, imagine a trial being kind of the big category, and then under that category, you've got these two things. You've got a test or you've got a temptation. A, a test is often outside of you, and it often uh, will come from God or, or is allowed by a loving God, and its purpose is to grow us up. Contrast that with a temptation, often comes from within sight of us, does not come from God, but comes from the evil one and is meant to discourage and ultimately harm or destroy you. So those are the differences I like to, uh, that helps me differentiate. Sometimes I'll be feeling something and I was like, well, is this coming outside of me or is this coming from within me? And that gives me a clue to understand which category to put it into uh, because understanding that distinction is super important. What if God has allowed a test to come your way to grow you, but you perceive it as a temptation, you know, you're going to miss out on this opportunity uh, that God has brought your way to grow you. So I think it's super helpful for you to understand the difference between temptation and, uh, and a test. But I would categorize both of those as a trial. Verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed, important words, by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James uses two sporting analogies here. The first one is the lured away, which um, is like a hunting term. It means to draw out from safety and shelter, to seduce. It's kind of what hunters do. The other is the word enticed. It literally means to bait or to hook, right? So that's a fishing analogy. So the first is hunting, the second is fishing. Think of the deceptive nature of fishing. Now, I'm not a fisherman. I think I've like fished once in my life, and I was not good at it, and I don't like touching the slimy things and Sorry, but uh, I know enough about it to know that it's pretty de deceptive. You know, you put a fake worm on a hook, you cast it where they're at, and you see which one of them you can trick into biting the, the worm, thinking that it's getting a snack, and it's the snack. The fish becomes the snack. So it, that's pretty deceptive. That's how temptation is. That's how the enemy works. He hides the trap. He hides the hook. He lures. He entices. That's the deal with temptation. There's also this phrase in that verse, brings forth death, which we'll come back to in a minute. But I want you to remember that phrase, brings forth, and that it brings forth death because um, that will be bookended at the end of um, verse 18. It's very important that we understand that. Moving on to verse 16, we see this uh, wonderful verse, do not be deceived. At the end of the day, temptation is meant to deceive you. You know what the problem with deception is? Those who are deceived don't know they're deceived because they're deceived. It's like a catch-22. It's the same problem with blind spots. The problem with blind spots is you can't see them. You know why? Because they're blind spots. Um, and so this illustrates our need for real community in our lives instead of cowards. A lot of followers of Jesus surround themselves with cowards 
people who don't have what it takes to say, hey, that's a blind spot, or to even ask a question that would help you see your blind spot. Um, and, and a great thing you can do for your spiritual journey is to make sure you are curating a community of people who love you enough to tell you when you've got egg on your face or when you're out of line or when you're deceived or when that's just dumb and that they can do it in love, that they can do it kind of skillfully and gracefully and with gentleness, with the aim of restoration and not punishment. Those people are kind of hard to find, but it's important for you to curate that um, because we can all be deceived. We all have blind spots. We need friends, brothers, sisters to show us uh, where we all fall short. Temptations rarely present themselves as temptations. And this is because the evil one is the father of lies. He's a master deceiver, and it's not in his character or nature to tell you what he's about to do. He's a liar. So he would never come to you and say, hey, I'm about to do this, this, and this, and this. And then you prepare for it, and you do like a big spiritual arm wrestle. That's not how it works. He always comes from these obscure angles uh, like, like where you don't see it coming because he's a deceiver, right? He, he lures and entices. You should know that. Verses 17 and 18, James kind of says something a little, seems like it's disconnected from all this, but it's not. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. What James is saying here, in the midst of talking about temptation, being under trial, you don't have an absentee father. You don't have to go it alone. One trick of the enemy is to tell us in temptations that God's withholding from us, that he's holding out on us, that he's a deadbeat dad. It's the same trick he used on Jesus in the desert temptations, and it's the same one he does today. For a long time, I didn't understand why James was tying this idea of a providing father with the, the temptations, but then I realized, he, I think he's thinking of uh, Jesus's temptations in the wilderness where behind every temptation of appetite or um, approval or ambition is the lie that God is withholding from you. It's the same lie the enemy brought Adam and Eve that God was withholding from them. So you would kind of wonder, um, I think behind every temptation is either the need for approval, the need for ambition or an appetite. Beneath those is the lie, the accusation that God's not good, that he doesn't love you, and that he's withholding from you. And that causes us to choose the bargain instead of the gift of God. Uh, it's just fascinating that, that, that James, uh, the, the brother of Jesus, identifies uh, this. Uh, there's also the phrase coming down, um, that, that every good and perfect gift that's coming down. Um, what's important to do here, and this is more than semantics, it's important to know here, is that it's a present participle. And what that means is that God is constantly giving. So James isn't saying, yeah, the father of lights, he kind of constantly, he kind of randomly gives or he occasionally gives. No, no, no. He is always giving. Uh, it is gifts that are coming down, present participle. He gives to us all the time. And many times we're not aware of the gifts that God gives us, which is kind of crazy. Uh, a great prayer would be to pray, uh, you know, make me more aware of your presence, make me more aware of your blessings, make me more aware of what you're doing, make me more aware of your gifts. Warren Worsby uh, has the quote that says, God's gifts are greater than Satan's bargains. 
How great is that? What James is saying is that all good things come from God and no evil thing can come from him. I also love the nickname that James gives God here, the Father of Lights. Uh, He's saying that the same one who birthed the beautiful lights in the sky is the same Father who cares for you. He's not a deadbeat dad. He's powerful. He's creative. He makes beautiful things. He made you. He cares for you. You can count on him. He doesn't change. I don't know if you've ever seen the lights in the sky like that, uh, like out of the city where they just are so beautiful. Uh, A couple summers ago, I had the opportunity to go on a a pastor's camping trip in the Buena Vista, in in Buena Vista, Colorado, and I think it was the Collegiate Peaks um, in the San Isabel Forest. I think that was where it was. And it was amazing is we, um, we, we rented these llamas and we packed our gear on these six llamas. And I was like, why do we need llamas? Well, I figured out because we like walked for a day on elk trails. We got off the beaten path and got on, on elk trails into this place like 11,000 feet in, in the mountains in Buena Vista. And we had a, our guide had a special permit from the government where he was allowed to take people there once every two years. And so, like, no one has been back to this spot since we went. And this summer, he would be allowed to take another group. I'm trying to get on the group that he's taken back this summer. It's just so wonderful. But I had never spent, like, six days, six nights in an area that had never been touched by humans. Um, this area is like a protected uh, mountain uh, forest by the government, and no one will ever develop there. It was incredible to see the beauty of God's creation there. But the most beautiful thing I saw was at night, I would lay on my back at like midnight and I would just stare at the stars. And there was no artificial light for miles. And I was like, these look fake. Like, like they were so bright and so pristine and so clear and so beautiful. It was like nothing I'd ever seen before. I could see satellites moving with my naked eye. I mean, I thought they were shooting stars with there too slow. It was like, oh, that's a sat- satellite. It might've been the space station, I have no clue. But I thought of this verse the father of lights. And if you ever get a chance to go out in nature and to look up and to see the lights, you got to know that what James is saying is in the midst of temptation, the father of lights, the one who put those lights in the sky is the same father who loves you and he gives you every good and perfect gift and he's there for you. At the end of this verse, uh, there's that bookend that appears again, this this phrase um, brought forth. Now earlier, I think it's in verse 15, it says that sin brings forth death. But here, God, through Christ, brings forth life in you and in me. It's this wonderful bookend that, that, uh, that James gives us, that, that God is for us. And it's his idea to bring us, uh, you know, that he didn't just birth the lights in the sky, but by his will, by his idea, by his agenda, He birthed you, he birthed me, he brought us to life by the word, by the spirit. That God is the one available to you when you're under trial, when you are under a test. So what does this practically mean for us? I mean, when you're under a trial, you're faced with a test or battling temptation, what do you do? Because really, if we can't put this into practice, what what does it mean? Um, Because of the deceptive nature of the evil one, and uh, the surprising nature of temptation and how it kind of springs on you sometimes, you need to be intellectually and practically careful and alert and equipped beforehand, which is what our purpose here is today. Ephesians 5 says to look carefully how you walk, 
not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So that's what we were trying to get at, is how do we not be foolish? How do we um, wisely walk in these evil days? Uh, The first thing I want to offer to you is, and it's preventative, is um, you have to live in the Word. You know, if you are not living in the Word of God, you're going to have an impossible time facing temptation because the the, the method that uh, Jesus used in fighting temptation was quoting the words of God. Um, And so you have to be in the Word. I encourage you, if you are not in the Word, filling your mind with the truth of Scripture every day, you're just going to be toast. I mean, you're, you're, just, you're no match for sin. You're no match for the evil one. You're no match for temptation. Your, your strength is with um, the, the Spirit of God and the Scripture, the truth of God. And so I want to encourage you to, if at the very least, read the Scriptures every day. Just read it. Um, the first thing I do in the morning is I look up the verse of the day. I've got the Bible app, but I have it set to send my phone the verse of the day every morning at 5.30 a.m. It's the first thing I see. When I wake up, I'm intentional about not checking email or phone calls or texts. But the first thing I do is I grab my phone, I look at the verse of the day. I don't look at anything else, and then I put it down, and then I go brush my teeth, and I go on and do my other things. Um, you know, I, I will often, you know, go make coffee and then come back, sit down, read, pray, study, all that. Um, but the first thing I do is fill my mind with the Word of God. Uh, find a way to do that somehow. Second is to install the habit of beginning your day from a place of worship, prayer, and the Word. Um, this kind of dovetails into what I just said, but um, I'm not a morning person. I'm a night owl. I hate the morning. Like my dad gets up at like 3 or 4 in the morning. Uh I, I, I left to my devices, I'd go to bed at three or four in the morning. Um, but I have found that the days where I wake up before my kids and where I wake up before my wife and I start the day slow, unhurried with coffee, with some worship, with reading the word. Um, I, I'm going through the New Testament in a year right now. Um, those days are drastically different than the days where I'm like ripped out of bed from my alarm, but by my alarm clock or by my kids, and I just hit the ground running. And I don't have time to enter the day from a spiritual place of abiding. Way different. So I hate the morning, but I know it is just things go better when I start my day from that place of worship. And I encourage you to uh, figure out how to do that, what that looks like. Um, the third thing I'd offer is you probably see a theme here is arm yourself specifically with verses from the Word of God. Um, The Word is a weapon against the enemy. In the classic text on the armor of God in Ephesians 6, Paul describes it as a sword of the Spirit. And what I just want to say is you have um, a sword of the Spirit, and you should know how to wield it. Uh, A resource that you will want to download um, is uh, in this uh, video description. It is a PDF that we put together, and it's just the top scriptures to pray through. It's several pages. You can save it to your phone. You can download it, print it out, put it in your Bible. But it's just a list of scriptures characterized or categorized by um, different you know, things. You can just quickly go to it when you need a certain type of scripture. You can go right there, read them, pray through them, memorize them. I use this. And so if you're, if you feel a little overwhelmed by like, well, I don't know where to start in scripture because there's so many pages, so many books, so many verses and chapters. If anything, download this PDF, print it out, save it and start there. Uh, I've done the work of typing it up for you. All you got to do is click it. Uh, Fourth, this one's fun. You need a Barnabas. 
you need a friend of encouragement. Barnabas was like a big encourager in the New Testament. So you need a Barney. Uh, you need a safe, entrusted, confident who's in your corner, who isn't a coward, who's a straight shooter, who will call you their soul friend. Some people call this a soul friend. Some people call this an accountability partner. Whatever you want to call it doesn't matter. But you need someone that you can call in the moment of time where you can text, or maybe it's several people. Uh, you know, most of us remember the game show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? There was the lifeline, phone a friend. You need a phone a friend. You, you need someone that you can quickly go to that's on your favorites. Um, I've got several of these people in our church, in our city, you know, in Dallas, in, in, in Belton, in Florida. I've got several friends that at a moment's notice I can call and I can be completely honest with them. They are not cowards. They will tell me what's up when I need to hear it. Uh, and they'll also be gentle and kind to me. They'll ask me great questions. This is so good to have. Uh, you know, Bishop Sandy is one of those guys for me. Uh, when I, uh, especially under a test, I'll call him, and he's been such a good friend and pastor and Barnabas to me. Uh, find at least one, pray for at least one. If uh, you can, fill your life with many of them. Uh, not too many, you know, don't spread it out too much, but but you should have at least a handful of Barnabases, of friends that are there for you when things get tough. Um, these should be people who fit the description of Galatians 6. So before going out on doing this, read Galatians 6, verse 1. Uh, you need people who will restore you gently while also keeping an eye on themselves. You, you need that. Uh, lastly, um, if, if when you trip and fall, as we all do, be honest about it. Confess and receive forgiveness. You know, one of our unofficial mottos is, it's okay to not be okay. Just don't lie about it. Don't stay there. God meets you where you are, but you have to be, you have to know that it's okay to not be okay. And so um, undoubtedly, because we're human, you, you will fail tests. You will fail temptations. That's what the finished work of Jesus is for. And so be honest about it. Confess it. Receive forgiveness. Conviction of the Holy Spirit is super helpful. Guilt and shame and condemnation from the evil one is not. Um, uh, tell you a quick story about a friend who um, used to work for me years ago, and he was in his early 20s, and he had recently gotten married, and uh, he was secretly dealing with an addiction to pornography. And um, right after he got married, um, it kind of all came out, and it got really ugly, um, as it should. And um, man, he thought he was going to lose his marriage, and he thought, you know, his, his uh, career was over and his job was over, and. Uh, he invited me to be kind of a Barnabas for him. And, and so the deal that he asked me to do is he said, hey, can I just call you anytime I'm struggling or anytime that I have struggled? And I said, sure. So I'd be like driving in my car and all of a sudden I'd get a call from him and I knew what was going on. And he would call me and either say, hey, I'm really fighting this and um, I just need you to talk me, you know, talk to me. Or there'd be times where he'd say, like, I, I blew it. And I, I just, I'm just beating myself up and I'm just filled with shame and, and guilt. And I would just be there to love him and to pray for him and to help him forgive himself and to help him receive the forgiveness of God. And you know what happened? Eventually, he stopped calling me because God delivered him. I didn't deliver him. Uh, it was Jesus and the Holy Spirit that delivered him. And, and what this amazing thing happened, looking back on it, is we just brought this thing out into the light. We brought this dark sin out into the light, sunlight's the best disinfectant, and God gave me the honor to um, just kind of sit beside him and to uh, not judge him, not condemn him, but to be a Barnabas that he could call when he was going through something 
and I would just love him. And uh, a couple years ago, he um, he uh, he called me, wanted a coffee, and I thought something was wrong. And we sat down, and he just begins to cry and weep, weep. And you know, he uh, was still married, and they had several kids, and they were able to buy a house, and he got this incredible job. Our doorbell just rang. Last week, it was a, like a, a heavy truck, and now it's the mailman. Hang on, I'm going to go get the mail. It was Amazon, something we ordered three weeks ago. I don't even know what it was. Where was I? All right, my friend. See, this would never happen at the school. This would never happen. All right, I don't know where I was, but it all turned out great. And, uh, oh, my friend got a job. And he starts crying, and he's, he's just like, I thought my life was a mess. And, and he just got this great job, and his family, and he just had come this realization of how God had delivered him and how he had used um, people in his life to kind of help him along the way, and he just wanted to say thank you. I'd kind of forgotten about it because, honestly, I didn't do a whole lot other than answer a phone and not judge, and I just loved him. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit gets all the credit for that stuff, and I, I couldn't take credit for it. Um, but it was a joy, and it was a privilege to be that for him. And it's a joy, and it's a blessing to have other people be that for me. So, you know, that might be something you, you want to think about is, do you have somebody that you can call when you blow it and who won't judge you? And, uh, and, and can you be that for, for other people? Um, you know, the gospel message in all this is, is uh, so wonderful. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Hebrews 4, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. What is wonderful is that our Lord and Savior, he knows temptation. He knows test. He knows trials beyond anything we've ever faced, and yet he did not sin. But Corinthians there says that even though he didn't sin, he was made to be sin on the cross, our sin, for you and me, so that we might have the right and the availability to come and be God's kids. You know, in Lamentations 3, it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. You remember the quote from Worsby, God's gifts are greater than Satan's bargains. Is there a bargain that you're settling for? How can you begin to equip 
yourself with the sword of the Spirit? Are you living in the Word of God? Are you um, filling your mind with uh, the treasures of the Scripture so that in the, the, the day of temptation and trial, you will have um, the necessary equipment, the, the armor of God, the sword of the Spirit, to fight off the enemy as Christ did? Uh, maybe maybe you uh, make a game plan the next time you're tempted. Um, what are you going to do? Um, who are you going to call? Um, are you going to meditate on the goodness of God? Are you going to run to worship and prayer? Are, are you going to immerse yourself in Scripture? Uh, or can you recognize the deceptive nature of the luring and the hunting of the enemy? Do you have a soul friend? Is there someone in your life who isn't a coward, who is gentle and kind and truthful that when you're going through it, when you're under trial, you can call and say, I need help? Uh, How are you responding right now to the trial, the test, or the temptation that you're going through? Do you need help? All good questions to be considering this week. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we just remember and say thank you for being um, our big brother, to being our high priest that sympathizes with us, that knows what temptation and trial is like, and you came out of it with flying colors. You did not sin. We need your help. Lord, I pray for those who are under uh, just the crushing weight of guilt and shame. I, I just ask by the winds of your spirit, you would kind of clear the air and that you would open the windows of the house, and you would open the doors, and you would just uh, blow through and remove all of those contaminants from the evil one, and that you would bring uh, your kindness uh, that would lead people to repentance. Um, Lord, for those listening or watching um, that are not yet equipped and have a game plan for how to handle trials wisely, I pray this would be a bit of a wake-up call and that um, you would help them and equip them to use the time they have now to um, uh, preemptively equip themselves uh, for the battles ahead. God, for those who are just under trial and and who are uh, facing various testings and and temptations and uh, struggling with with, uh, failing health or confusion, or with their job, or, or, or with people, or just fear, anxiety, or with addictions. Jesus, we just ask for you to come and bring your freedom. You said in your word, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so we just pray for more of your Holy Spirit. We know that usually the answer is more of the Holy Spirit. We just ask, fill the empty cups. Fill every crack and crevice. Fill every room in the, um, in the soul, in the home of our soul. Bring your spirit because we need your freedom. Uh, Lord, for those who are under uh, and, and in a test, I, I ask you would strengthen, that you would give the perseverance, the, the steadfastness, the passionate patience. And we just ask for your help, God. We need you, Lord. We need more of your power in our life. Teach us to rejoice in these times. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's close by praying as our Lord taught us to pray, saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.